Well, good morning, church family. As we begin this morning, let's remind ourselves of why we gather. We gather in the name of Jesus and because he loved us enough to send his son for us. Would you stand as we've been in the service with God so loved the world? His one and only 
a strong and perfect plea for one that loves us. Satisfied to look 
Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one, risen Son. Good morning, church. There is no better place to be this side of heaven than worshiping together with our church family. So thank you for being here. We've uh, got an exciting day, um, just learning more about who God is and how much he loves us and sharing that love this afternoon. A few announcements. We do have Fall Festival this afternoon, so we want everyone to come out and fellowship together. Um, invite others to be here and, and welcome those who might come out in our community. So looking forward to all that fun. It's going to start at 4 o'clock this evening. We will have hot dogs and chili. Also, there's a cakewalk, there's inflatables, there's face painting. So come on out for all the fun and fellowship. Uh, not as much fun, but next week we will be having a church business meeting at 9 a.m. So we will have that in the fellowship hall. So come on out to learn about what's going on with our church business. Um, Disciple Now for the students is coming up next week, so um, be in prayer for that. If you have questions, please see Nate about that. And then the Fall Ladies Gathering is happening November the 12th, so that's a, a fun time of soup, some music, some fellowship, so we want all the ladies to come out, a bonfire. Um, it probably won't be as warm as it is today, but uh, they can all bring their blankets and warm up together. So um, last of all, as far as announcements, well, actually two more announcements. Uh, Wednesday meal, we had a wonderful Wednesday meal this past Wednesday, so that'll be going on again this Wednesday coming up, a meal before our time of, of small groups and learning more about how much Jesus loves us. So then last of all, if you notice the box coming, the boxes coming in, we do have boxes for Operation Christmas Hope, and these are boxes of Christmas gifts for children who may be less fortunate than we are. So we want to provide a Christmas for them that will share the love of Jesus Christ with those children whose parents may be incarcerated. So pick up a box. There's instructions on those boxes so that you can know what to put in them and then uh, bring them back to us. Lastly, I want to share Philippians 2, 14 through 18. And this, this uh, verse convicted me as I've been a part of many soccer games lately and coaching and as a parent, but Philippians 2, 14 through 18 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we have so much to rejoice about, Lord. We just ask, Lord, that we find our joy in you, Lord, that we look to your word, Lord, to find who you are, Lord, that we just continue this morning and worship you in spirit and truth. In your name, amen. Let's continue to sing praises to his name who's worthy.
us so 
as we often do in praise and worship time, we take the mirror away and we look straight at the God who is more faithful than we are. And we sing to his holiness and his honor. So sing with us. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to you're seated this morning, we get to celebrate one of the ordinances uh, that we're commanded to celebrate. We get to celebrate that this morning uh, with Pastor Matt and with Mackenzie Hill. So I'm going to turn it over to them as we worship through baptism. All right. Hello, church again. This is just, this is what makes Sunday morning special. It's just a time to bring our Lord and Savior glory. And I just uh, want to speak with you about Mackenzie Hill and just uh, her desire to share with you her profession of faith. I uh, met with Mackenzie a couple times and she is just, uh, she loves the Lord. She loves Jesus and she wants you to know that she wants to live her life for our Lord and Savior. So we just, this time of, of baptism is one of our two ordinances where we just desire to celebrate our Lord and Savior and walk together in it. So with that said, Mackenzie Hill, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
I baptize you. Buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. Let's go to the Lord and... Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick as we uh, thank the Lord for this uh, salvation of Mackenzie Hill. Father, we come to you. We bow before you. Our hearts have been uh, lifted up towards you as we sing songs of praise, songs of worship, as we profess our love for you. And Father, we thank you for this, um, this new salvation. We thank you for Mackenzie Hill and the decision she's made to follow you and to make a public profession of her faith through baptism. Father, I do pray that as she lives out her life, as she walks faithfully, that she would be a witness to um, her younger sisters, and that she'd be a witness in her family, and that she'd be a witness in this world as she seeks to live in obedience to you. Father, as we get into your word today, we thank you for your word. We ask God that you would speak to us through it, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word, and that your word would be planted in our hearts with truth, and that it would produce a fruit, some 30, some 60, and a hundredfold. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that he will come again. In Christ's name, amen. Second Peter, if you have your Bibles, hope you do, go ahead and grab those. Second Peter chapter 3, we begin a brand new chapter this morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're new with us, if you're here for the first time, we're so glad that you're here. So let me give you a little bit of a recap on how we've gotten to this point in Second Peter. Obviously, this letter is written by the apostle Peter. He uh, walked with Christ, he was the disciple of Christ, and now he's writing this final letter, and really this letter is one of, he knows that his time is coming to an end. So he needs to say these last words to the church, these lasting words, and they're, they're really words of warning. So chapter 1, if you, you're there, you can kind of flip over and, and follow along. Chapter 1 was really a warning against false living. It, it was the tendency of many in those days and in today's day to live falsely, to proclaim Christ but not pursue Christ in, in their life. So he says there in verse 3 of chapter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have a warning against false living. False living is knowing about Christ without ever growing in Christ. It's false living. It's proclaiming Christ, but yet never seeing fruit produced in your life. It's unfruitful. It's ineffective faith because there's no working out. There's no effort being made. So he says, listen, let me, let me warn you believers of living a life that produces no fruit. So our relationship with Christ should never be static. It should never be uh, not growing. It should always be growing in our knowledge of him. So we are not found ineffective and unfruitful. Because if we're ineffective and unfruitful and we're living a false life, then we're going to open ourselves up to false teachers. Chapter 2. Over the last three weeks, we've really gone verse by verse uh, dissecting what it looks like to be a false teacher and what false teachers were doing. Well, they were, they were coming in with destructive heresies. They were coming in, they were teaching things that went against the Word of God, and they were doing that so that they could elevate their lifestyle, their sinful lifestyle. So I said this over and over and over, apostasy happens when someone dilutes, diminishes, or deletes the word of God to justify breaking the will of God. So to dilute the word of God means that you're going to begin to pour in all other things from this culture so that it's a little more palatable. Well, certainly his word didn't mean that because that's harsh. That's not loving. And so we're going to pour our cultural influences into our interpretation so we begin to dilute the word of God. Well, then there are many who will diminish the Word of God. They'll diminish its authority in their life, and so they'll only follow certain parts of the Bible, and so then they'll actually delete God's Word from their life, and so they won't submit to His Lordship. And the reason they do that is because they want to pursue gratification over godliness. And then they want to take as many people as they can with them down that path, because it justifies their behavior. 
These are false teachers, a warning against false teachers. So in verse 1 of chapter 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. They will bring in these destructive heresies. They blaspheme authority. They have beastly behaviors, and they are, they're like Balaam with one foot in and one foot out. They, they're trying to ride the line, and so beware of false teachers. And this leads us to the last one here, chapter 3, as we move in. This chapter really is all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's about his return, that he will return. And so today we're going to look at the promise of that. But the third chapter is a warning against false security. It's a warning against living as if he's not returning anytime soon. It's just thinking, you know what, every day is just like the other day, and I can, I can just keep rolling on just the way I've always rolled on. And he's saying, listen, don't have a false sense of security. Now, we probably won't make it to verses 9 through 10 and 14 this morning. Uh, originally, I had planned on pretty much covering the entire chapter, but we're going to make it through seven verses today. But let me read these to you. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. As some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found by him. Don't live with a false sense of security because he is returning. Now, I, I don't know if maybe you had your head under a rock somewhere, but the, the current events would maybe cause you to think, is this it? Is, is he coming back? Are, are things headed down a, a path of, of no return? Or are we headed towards another world war? Or are things all centering in on on? Israel and the Middle East, and so we begin to ask questions like that, but we, we begin to ask, could this be it, and are we ready? Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Now, I have this, this is a, a silly illustration, but I have this little sweet dog named Lucy, right? And my little sweet dog, she's not really sweet, she can be really ornery and mean, but she's sweet to me, she likes me, and so she's really tiny, she's really little, and she's so smart that she has trained herself to understand what Alexis says. That's pretty smart, right? So every time Alexis says, there's a motion detected at the side camera, her ears peer, uh, peer up, and she runs, and she'll stand in a spot in the house where she can see the garage door and the front door. And then she listens to see if it says motion detected at front door. And if she, see it, if she hears that, she darts towards it, and she, she starts barking and going crazy. And it's super annoying that we're going to have to get a shark collar for her or something. You know, like, just stop barking. But she's so ready. She's anticipating. She's so excited for someone to show up. I know this is a silly illustration, but I, I stole it from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon said this, Oh, if we loved our Lord as dogs love their masters, how we would catch the first sound of his coming and be waiting, always waiting and never happy until we, see, we should see him. And he says, pardon me for using a dog as a picture of what you ought to be. But when you have attained the state above that, I will find another illustration to explain my meaning. <laughs> so this morning, I ask this question as we look at the promise. If Christ were to return today, would you be ready? I mean, honestly, would you be are you Are you like Lucy, just eagerly anticipating that door to open? I mean, Jesus could come tomorrow. He, in fact, he could come a century from now. We don't know. Because no one knows the hour or the time or the day, but we do know he's coming. The real question is, are you ready for his return? It is promised. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, if you follow along with me, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is God's word. We have, number one, the promise of his coming. We have a promise. Peter begins here and he says, listen, I've, I've written a letter to you. This is the second letter that I've now written you. We have First Peter. We have Second Peter. It's our understanding that he's probably referring back to First Peter, whether some commentators agree with that or not. But in both of these letters, he's stirring up their sincere mind towards way of reminder. He's saying, listen, I need to spend some time reminding you of things that you already know. I need to I need to stir you up. That word stir up is literally the same word that he used when they tried to wake Jesus up when the storm hit the boat, right? Like, wake up. we got to stir you up. Like, there's something happening. And he said, I want to I waken your heart to understand this, this truth, that Jesus Christ will return. Now, this is one of our core beliefs as Baptists. Uh, I know you've all read the Baptist faith and message. You've studied it diligently, and you can probably recite it to me better than I can recite it to you. But there is a section, there's an article in there about the second coming of Christ. So I want to read that to you. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000. God, in his own time and in his own way, will bring the world to its appropriate end. According to his promise, Jesus Christ will return personally and visibly in glory to the earth. The dead will be raised and Christ will judge all men in righteousness. The unrighteous will be consigned to hell, the place of everlasting punishment. The righteous... And their resurrected and glorified bodies will receive their reward and will dwell forever in heaven with the Lord. Amen? This is what we say we cling to. It's a promise that Jesus Christ will return. Well, how do we get this promise? Well, we get this promise from his word. This is all throughout scripture. And so I just want to go through some New Testament scriptures with you real quick. You might need to jot these down as I quickly go through them. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come. It doesn't get much clearer than that, does it? With his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He's coming with judgment. Mark 8, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So he is coming. He says, listen, you'll be held accountable. In Luke chapter 12, verse 40, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. We don't know when he's coming, but you should be ready. As Paul would say in Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are awaiting a Savior. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18. For this we declare to you by word, by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And in Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. We see throughout scripture there is the promise of a second coming. So let me ask you again, have you given much thought to this lately? We've all been given the promise that Jesus Christ will return, so are you ready for his return? Are you ready? You know, we all make promises, and promises are important, you, you may even like try to seal that promise with something. Maybe, 
Maybe you pinky promise, like let's pinky promise on it. Let, let me spit in my hand. You spit in your hand, we'll shake on it. Let's sign a contract on it. Let's, you know, let's do something that would show that we are serious about our promise. But promises get broken. If you're a parent, maybe you've done this. Maybe your kids have been begging for you to take them to get ice cream. And you say, I promise we're going to go later. I promise we'll go later. And then when later came, you just could not pull it off, right? Have you ever done that? Yeah, I promise we're doing this. And then I failed to, to be able to fulfill my promise. Maybe you've had a friend who said, listen, we're going to hang out on this day. I've made it. I put it on my calendar. We're going to hang out. This is the day. And then your friend changes their plans on you last minute. They've broken their promise. Maybe you've made a promise that you would show up at a certain event, maybe a sporting event or, or, or something else for your child. You said, I promise I'll be there. And then work kept you over and you failed to meet that promise. Maybe at one point you stood at an altar and you confessed your love for another, saying you would forsake all others, being faithful as long as you both shall live, and yet you've seen that promise broken. So the question is, what makes a promise trustworthy? Is it, is it a symbol? Is it a sign? Is it something like that? No, the trustworthiness of someone's promise is solely dependent upon the strength of their word. Am I right? The only, the only way you can really be sure of a promise is by the one whose word is given. Like, is their word sure? So do you trust his word? Today, we're going to look at the promise of his word that he will return. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He says there his word equals truth. Therefore, it can be trusted. Psalm eighteen thirty. this God his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. His word proves true. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. His word can be trusted. So we have the promise that he will return. We have the promise of his coming. And secondly, we can count on the promise of his coming on account of his word. We can we can. Hold on to this promise because we know his word is true. So here's where Peter keeps going. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Why is it important for us to talk about this today? Well, we need to be reminded Sometimes we need to be reminded of the truths that we already know in God's word. And the reason is, is because we can become rusty in our faith. As John Calvin said, even the godly who have some degree of biblical learning will become dim and mentally rusty if they do not receive these constant reminders and warnings. And so the church needs faithful teachers to impress the truth on the memory of their hearers just as Peter is doing here. So there's three reminders. There's three keys. There's three key reminders of God's promise to return. And Peter gives these. He gives, number one, the Old Testament prophets. You can look all the way back to his word, to the Old Testament prophets. You're going to find in the Old Testament prophets that there are prophecies that he's coming again. The commandment of the Lord, the Lord himself talks about it, so we can look at, at his teachings and what his commandments are. And then we can look at the New Testament apostles and the things that they said and the things they witnessed. And so we have three things all pointing us towards God's word, at least three keys that we should take notice of and remember. So, number one, the Old Testament prophets. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Why? Because the word is true and inspired and given to the prophets. We can count on the promise of his coming. We need to remember his coming. He's already said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's already said, listen, the Old Testament, the, the scriptures, they are God-breathed, as, as Paul would say in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. It's God-breathed. He has is, he is ordained it. He's, it's not made up by man. You can trust this. This was God's own word spoken to men, and they wrote it down. In fact, there's over 300 prophecies of his first coming that, were, that have already been fulfilled. And so if you have 300 plus 300 of these prophecies that have already been fulfilled, you look at the prophecies of his second coming, what does that lend you to believe you can count on it he's coming again Isaiah 66 15 through 16 for behold the Lord will come in fire 
and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Malachi 4.1 For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. We have the inspired word of God given to us by the prophets. We can go all the way back to Old Testament. We can see that if these prophecies have been fulfilled, then we know the prophecies that have yet to be filled will be fulfilled. So we need to remember he's coming back. Let me remind you. Let me stir you up by way of reminder. Number two, you have the commandment of the Lord. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior. So because we have the word, it's true and inspired, given to the prophets, we can count on these promises to come true. And because of Jesus' own words, we have a command concerning that day. So not only are we to remember he's coming, but be ready. Be ready. He's coming. He said that. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you must... Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He then goes on to tell a parable in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps, and the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. So not only do we have the prophets who prophesied by the word of God, by the spirit of God, that he would come again. We have Jesus' own teaching that, hey, you need to be ready. You need to watch because he is coming again. So let me ask you, are you watching? Are you ready? Lastly, we have the New Testament apostles. The New Testament apostles says, and Savior through your apostles. Because of the inspired word of God given to the prophets, because of Jesus' own words, and because of the eyewitness accounts and writings of the apostles, we have a promise that he will return. So be reminded, be ready, be faithful. He's coming. Church, he's, he's coming again. Acts 1, 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He will come again. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 52 and 58, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So be ready. Be watchful. Be faithful. Remember, Jesus Christ will come again. Are you ready? Are you anticipating that day? We have the promise of his coming. We can count on the promise of his coming on account of his word. And so lastly, therefore, be aware of scoffers who discount the word. So beware of those who discredit the fact that he's coming again, that would alter God's word, that would deny God's word. Be, be weary of these people. 2 Peter 3, 3-5. Knowing this first of all, 
that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. They deliberately overlook this fact. They are scoffing at They are denying the truths of Scripture. They're claiming that it's not true. They're mocking at it. And the reason they're mocking at it is because they want to follow their own sinful desires. They don't want to live as if they're going to be held responsible for their actions. And so if I don't want to be held responsible for my actions by the Creator God, then I'm going to begin to scoff at and deny the fact that He's coming again in judgment. Stephen Cole says, when people who profess to know Christ decide to pursue their own lust, they have to invent some doctrinal loopholes to justify their sins and pacify their conscience. These false teachers scoffed at the idea that Jesus would return in power and glory to judge the world. They scoffed at the idea. And so there's two ways that they begin to scoff. They begin to scoff at creation, the creation of the world that was by the word of God. And the second thing they begin to scoff at is by the destruction, the catastrophe that took place in the flood. They begin to deny that it ever happened by the word of God. So if they can, if they can say these are just stories that were made up, these are not real, these are just, you know, these, these things that were thrown in, then they can then justify their sinful actions. So number one, scoffers mock the creation account of Scripture. It says they deliberately overlook the fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. We can go all the way back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, and we can see that the word of God spoke and creation went into form. This, it, it began by the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. By the power of his voice, things were created. Is this not amazing? These are things that we know, right? But we need to be reminded that there is power in God's word, that we can trust his, his word. It is a promise to us. He has proved it over and over and over. And he says, listen, the power, it, it is the power of God's word that creates things. So we can count on it. But those who want to live in their foolish lifestyles, they will mock, they will ridicule even the creation story. They will try to undermine the very foundation of Christianity by, by reducing it to a Big Bang theory or evolution. And, and then they can say, well, if I can, if I can say that that's what happened, then I can remove God as creator, and that means I don't have to be held responsible by the creator. Because if I just came out of nothing, then I have nothing to hold me responsible. We see that the world is continuing to teach this way. Educational systems are beginning to say these things. We have scientists who are continually saying that evolution is the way to believe. 97% of professional scientists hold to this view. John MacArthur said this, a well-known scientist named Herbert Spencer, who died in 1903, he discovered that all reality, all that exists in the universe, can be contained in five categories. Time, force, action, space, and matter. Herbert Spencer said, everything that exists, exists in one of those categories. Time, force, action, space, and matter. Now think about that. Time, force, action, space, and matter. That is a logical sequence. And then, with that in your mind, listen to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, time. God, force, created action, the heavens, space, the earth, matter. He created all things in that sequence. We see that there is a creator God by the word of his mouth that created all things. We cannot even fathom that. Everything that could be said about everything that exists is said in that first verse. Now, neither you believe it or you don't. So we can count on the promise of his coming account because of his word, because of the creation and why is this important? Why, why does this matter? Because to deny or reject the truth that God created the world 
by his word is to move towards distrusting the word of God and towards defiance to the will of God. Because if you don't believe that that's true, then you can begin to dilute and delete and diminish all the other scriptures according to your way of wanting to live. The second thing they scoff at, as I said, is the catastrophe that took, took place in scripture, the flood. Verse 6, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Here again, Peter's referencing the flood. He did it earlier, he'd do it again. We go back to Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 8. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Remember, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The lesson of the flood is that God intervened in history to judge. He did it. He intervened by the word of his mouth to judge the world for their wickedness. And listen, he'll do it again. By the word of his mouth, he will intervene again through his son as he returns to judge the wicked. He'll judge in righteousness. It says in Matthew 24, 37 through 39, For as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. I like how Warren Wearsby puts it. God has the power to break in at any time and accomplish his will. He can send rain from heaven or fire from heaven. At any moment, the word of God has the power to intervene. At any moment, are you ready for his return? Remember, the Old Testament prophets, they talked about it. Those are yet to be fulfilled. Remember the commandments of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As he taught, as he gave parables, he said, be watchful, be ready. Remember what the apostles said. They saw him go off into heaven. He'll come back exactly the same way. They said, let me reveal to you this mystery, that we will not all die, but we will be caught up. We will be changed in an instant. And it's all done by the same word, 2 Peter 3, 7. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. We can count on the promise of his coming on account of his word. Why is this important? Because to deny or to reject the truth that Christ is coming again to judge the world is to move towards distrusting the word of God and toward a defiance of the will of God and thus remaining under the wrath of God. Let me ask you, are you ready for his return? We've been given the promise that Jesus Christ will return. Are you ready? Do you remember? Are you watchful? Do you know for certain that you're his? Let me ask you this as we in for a time of reflection, what in your life needs to be surrendered to the word of God before he gives the final word? What in your life needs to be surrendered to the word of God before he gives the final word, before he returns to take us home? There might be sin in your life today that you've allowed to go unconfessed. There may be things in your life that you've not repented of. There may be things that you've scoffed at, you've diluted, you've diminished. You've lived as if the scoffers did. Well, every day is the same. It's just going to keep going. And we've said, you know what? We don't know when. But what if he were to return today? Would you be ready? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the promise that you will return. But we know that there is hope for us, that you will 
take, a, take us away from the wickedness of this world, that you will one day remove us from the presence of sin ultimately, that you will wipe away every tear, every grief, and every sorrow. And God, today we know that, but yet we, we are thankful that you're patient, not wanting any to perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. And so we pause today and we repent. Father, if there's sin in my life, if there's sin that you're bringing to the mind of us who are listening right now, that we would be, we'd be faithful to repent, to lay our lives on the altar before you, that we would be faithful to, to pursue you, to grow in godliness. God, if there's someone today who doesn't know you, doesn't know for certain that they're ready, today lead them towards repentance. Lead them towards surrendering their life to you as Lord of all. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?
make that a cry of our hearts this week, that he would purify us for the day of his coming. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning.